All right, I did not do my sound check this morning, so this is it. All right, we are good. Oh, man. Man, what an exciting uh, time, just different things that are happening in the life of the church, uh, like the women that went to the Lumina Conference up in D.C., the hike out in Farmville yesterday, High Bridge Trail, all good stuff going on. Um, we've announced to you about church plants uh, several times, so the church plant in Chester, New Creation, started their regular weekly worship last Sunday, and so this was their, their second Sunday in a row, and so that's great. We're encouraged by that, and we've hired a planter for Amelia, who we introduced to you last week, uh, Marty Cates, and uh, I just heard that the planter for Farmville got approved by Presbytery, so we're waiting on a timeline for that, so lots of good things happening there, uh, very exciting news. Um, if you are looking for something to do, like, with your kids to volunteer in some way, and, and we, Brian just talked about this, but I want to highlight this aspect because it's close. For Operation Christmas Child, which is the shoe boxes you see out there, you can mail them and send them off, but we are also this year a collection station, meaning people will bring them here, and then we'll take care of that. And so the Germains are heading that up. That collection happens all week long, the week prior to Thanksgiving. So my question for you is, is that a week from tomorrow? A week from tomorrow. So not this week, but next week. If you're like, I don't know. Yeah, I want to come by with my kids at some point during the day and help. Talk to Dana or Amy. Just raise your hands right there. Find them. Talk to them. Say, hey, when do you need help on that? And maybe that works out for you. Um, today we are continuing our sermon series um, on being overwhelmed and overcoming. And today we are addressing a heavy topic. Uh, we're talking about the topic of abuse and trauma. And um, it seems that abuse and trauma, uh, especially abuse, is widely claimed these days. Perhaps it's even overused in a society where seemingly everybody is a victim. Um, and that is unfortunate because it actually diminishes the pain and suffering that is felt by people who have really suffered abuse and suffered trauma at the hands of others who already feel alone, unheard, and powerless. But we need to hear it because it's a reality that is far too common. Consider, for example, these statistics from the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence. Nearly 20 people per minute are physically abused by an intimate partner in the United States. One in three women and one in four men have experienced some form of physical violence by an intimate partner, which includes a range of behaviors from slapping to shoving to pushing, etc. One in seven women and one in 25 men have been injured by an intimate partner. Or consider the abuse, uh, the statistics on rape, abuse, and incest. Every 68 seconds, an American is sexually assaulted, which means from the time I started talking to you to now, there's been at least one. Every nine minutes, that victim's a child. Of sexual abuse cases reported to law enforcement, 93% of juvenile victims knew their perpetrator. One out of six American women and one out of 33 men have been the victim of an attempted or completed rape in their lifetime. Meanwhile, only 25 out of 1,000 perpetrators will ever end up prosecuted and in prison for it. The scope of the problem is significant. And it's a hard topic, but it is important that we address it to know the reality of what's going on in our world that is so overwhelmed and in our church that gets overwhelmed by this. To those of you who are fortunate to not have been, abu not have been abused, please 
don't check out. Do listen to this today. Listen because you likely know someone who has been abused and you might be the only one that will listen to them. That will hear their clues and their cries for help. Rather than dismissing those, listen. What we want to do today then is look at being those who are being overwhelmed by abuse and then how we're going to overcome that, especially with the power of the gospel. So first, the point we're going to look at here is being overwhelmed by different kinds of abuse. And we can put that slide on the screen. Before getting into that too deep, we need to define what abuse is. So definition that we're going to give to abuse here, you can see there, but it's simply put, it's the improper use of something. So for instance, right, abuse improperly, if I take my iPhone and I use it to drive a nail and the screen cracks, I'm like, what in the world? No, that's because I abused the iPhone to use it for something it wasn't to be used for. In the context of what we're talking about today, we're talking about the topic of abuse of people when people are abused and mistreated. And so it refers then to the persistent maltreatment that causes lasting damage. As such, it's a misuse of power which wounds another person physically, emotionally, psychologically, and spiritually. That language I took from a report on domestic and sexual abuse that was written by our denomination, our church, and approved at the General Assembly this past summer. That report is over 220 pages long, which means that today there's no way I can do justice to this topic. I will barely scratch the surface of it. In doing so, I don't mean to either offend some of you or exclude any of you who are saying, but what about me and my abuse that I've suffered? There's a lot of good information in that report. But let's do talk about a few different kinds of abuse today. First, physical abuse. Physical abuse, like we cited for domestic violence and situations like that, right? When a spouse or a parent is mad and frustrated, hits another hits a child, throws an object, pins them down to intimidate and threaten. It's an abusive kind of situation, right? Think about this. In Genesis chapter 6, in Noah's day, when God is upset with the world before the flood comes, right? One of the things that he says is he is grieved by how violent the world has become. And then he promised he would never do that again, but today we live in a violent world once again. Consider these words from Psalm 140, verses 1 and 4. We can put those on the screen. Rescue me, Lord, from evildoers. Protect me from the violent. And verse 4, keep me safe, Lord, from the hands of the wicked. Protect me from the violent who may devise ways to trip my feet. Right, he's praying for protection. Um, And even there, you can put that up. The last one, verse 11, about the slanderers not being established in the land and made disaster hunt down the violent, right? What he's crying out for is for the violence to end and for the wicked to be dealt with. And that's just one kind of abuse. But then there's sexual abuse. The Bible repeatedly condemns sexual sins of assault, rape, and incest. There's a story in the Old Testament about Tamar, who was taken by her half-brother Amnon, and she begged him not to do such a wicked thing. And she felt the weight of the disgrace that she simply could not shake. But he did not listen to her. This is in 2 Samuel. You could put those verses on the screen, 13. He didn't listen to her, and he overpowered her, and he raped her. You can put the next verse up there, 13, and it shows that she says, what about me? Where could I get rid of my disgrace? And what about you? You would be like one of the wicked fools. 
right, the evil of sexual assault. And then there's verbal abuse, using harsh and demeaning words to manipulate and control other people. Proverbs 12, verse 18 says, The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongues of the wise bring healing. And then Proverbs 16, verse 24, Gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. I mean, notice two things there, right? That words can actually feel like deadly weapons, like swords. In other words, they do hurt, but also words can bring healing. There's hope there. Words of kindness matter. The old adage that tries to inspire courage in people. Sticks and stones may break my bones. Words and names cannot hurt me. It might be intended to inspire courage, but it is not true. Words hurt. They hurt deeply. And they can wound deeply when they are misused and abused. They can also bring healing, as we saw there. Consider, for example, the situation that a counselor, not from here, from, it was, uh, from another place, relays this story in a book about Lucy and her husband, Jim. Lucy's husband never raised a hand against her. He was not physically violent to her, but he used his words to harm her instead. Over time, she came to believe that her husband was right to withdraw his attention to her, withdraw his affection from her, and actually withdraw financial support from her. He said things like, it was only for your good that I'm doing this and keeping your friends from you because they are a bad influence on you. He would then do other things. Jim would, like, pray over her. He would pray and that God would help him endure the torture of her voice. Pray that he would find her attractive again. Lucy believed that she was the cause of her husband's disdain. And furthermore, he convinced members of their small group that she was the problem and had them praying for him. That's an example of verbal abuse. Not only is it verbal abuse, it's spiritual abuse too, which is the next one we consider. Spiritual abuse is when someone with responsibility and power, a pastor, an elder, a spouse, a parent, a teacher, a coach in a Christian setting, I suppose we could say, uses the Bible verses or doctrines of the Bible in a way to subject another person to physical, verbal, or sexual abuse. And what that example with Lucy, her husband weaponized scripture to put her in a bad light, manipulate her, and make himself look good. I hope you could see that what he was doing was wrong, that you see that and go, yeah, of course that's wrong. I also hope you see that it is definitely spiritual and spiritually wrong, and that Jesus does not support that. I mean, consider this. Jesus rebukes the Pharisees. He rebukes them. Refers to them as wolves in sheep's clothing. Refers to them as a brood of vipers striking at other people. Right? In Matthew 23, verse 13 and verse 15, consider what Jesus says when he warns them. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. And then verse 15. Woe to you, again, 
You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. When you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Those are strong words that Jesus is using. And he's speaking the truth to them because what he is saying about them, the Pharisees, is that they put up all these religious things to use to manipulate people. And in doing so, they are actually keeping people far from the kingdom of God, far from Jesus. They're driving them away. Spiritual abuse is then used to manipulate people that sounds good, but actually drives them away from God, away from his grace, away from his character, away from his people, away from his church. And so we are overwhelmed today by the kinds of abuse that we face in society. And again, I've not named them all. But we're also overwhelmed by the effects of abuse. Of abuse. This is the second point. Being overwhelmed by the effects of abuse that are mental and physical and spiritual. Abuse survivors are three times more likely to suffer depression and six times more likely to suffer PTSD. They actually have the second highest rate of PTSD only to war veterans. Thirteen times more likely to abuse alcohol and fourteen times more likely to contemplate suicide. In addition... Spiritually, guilt is imposed upon them by the abuser, and so their spiritual life is turned upside down. And then physiologically, studies are showing how it begins to affect their bodies in different ways in in their immune system, their central nervous system, and neuroendocrine systems. Right? Because body and soul are not two separate things. God made us body and soul together. Spiritual effects, physical, physical effects, spiritual And yet that might seem like it's so overwhelming and the effect's so deep that there's no hope. But, but writing for uh, grace, godly response to abuse in a Christian environment, this man says, no, there is hope. There is hope, right? We recognize abuse is a risk factor, not a destiny. Let me say that again. If you are a sufferer, if you've been abused, there's effects and there are risk factors, but they are not destiny. You can move toward healthier behaviors such as regular sleep schedules, he writes. Healthy diet, exercise, and avoiding or treating addiction. You enhance the ability to manage stressors by learning self-regulation skills, having positive relationships, strengthening healthy spirituality, and seeking professional therapy. He goes on and says you can advocate for your own health care by seeking a trauma-informed provider who understands the health impacts of abuse and letting them know your history. These actions, he writes, can help offset some of the long-term health effects of abuse. In other words, what he is saying is he's saying it is a holistic matter of the whole human being and spiritually healthy matters too. And so we want to look at what it means to overcome then abuse and just, again, scratching the surface of what that might look like. So let's talk, third point here, overcoming abuse. The gospel is so great that the overcoming power of the gospel applies to the abuser as well. This is the third point. You can put this on the screen. But if you are an abuser, and statistically speaking, you are, some of you, according to the statistics, there would be people in this room who are abusers. 
stop. What you are doing is sinful. It is wicked. It is wrong. It is harmful. Stop. And you can stop with God's help. And if you don't stop, you may well face severe judgment. And you will do damage to people for generations to come. Don't carry out your abusive patterns that led to your divorce into your next marriage. Don't put them on your next child or your next spouse. Don't weaponize scripture for your manipulative abuse. It's evil. It's why Jesus condemned the Pharisees who heaped religious burdens on people, taking them farther from Jesus. Stop. Repent. Turn away from your abuse. Turn to Jesus. There is grace available for you. There is. We know there is. Scripture tells us there is. And it's not a cheap grace that you use to ease your conscience and continue your patterns of abuse. No, it's a costly grace. It's an amazing grace because Jesus had to die for your sins and the horror of them. But he was also glad to do it to demonstrate his love and his grace to you. It's liberating grace. Hate your sin and love Jesus. For example, David, King David in the Old Testament, you know David the hero? The good guy. He's a good guy. But he's a sinful guy. The sinful guy who saw Bathsheba bathing and said, I want her, bring me, bring her to me. Like she can say no to the king? Is that not some kind of sexual abuse using power? And then because she gets pregnant, he has her husband killed? That's violence. And he doesn't really deal with it until, until God says, I'm going to show my grace to you and sends a prophet to him who tells a story about another man taking another man's sheep. And he's like, oh, that's so wrong. That man should be caught. And the prophet says, it's you, king. And his heart is melted by it. Melted by the grace of God when he sees the horror of his sin. And he writes Psalm 51 turning back to God, pleading with God to have mercy on him. There's hope. Or the Apostle Paul, who in 1 Timothy 1.13, before he became a Christian, says he was a blasphemer and a persecutor, a violent man because he killed Christians. But God chose to show him mercy because this is the amazing power of the gospel. That yes, for you, the abuser, there's grace. Hate your sin. Turn from it. And find the grace of God. And then lastly, the point today to talk about is the overcoming power of the gospel for the abused. For those who have suffered. It is said that time heals all wounds. Really? I don't think time has that kind of power. But the gospel does. We say the gospel changes everything, and we believe it does. For instance, you're a victim. Jesus was a victim, too. He was a victim, too. Your sins did not cause your abuse. Please hear me on this. If you have suffered abuse, one of the things that happens is perpetrators try to make you feel guilty for it. For you to feel the responsibility of it. It was not your sin that caused your abuse. It is the perpetrator's sin. 
The abuser who sinned. The abuser is responsible. Consider this story that a counselor tells as well from a 13-year-old victim who was sexually abused. Told her counselor that she kept the secret of her abuse for eight years because the only thing she knew about sex outside of marriage was that it was sinful. What the Bible teaches. And so she felt guilty because she was a part of it. She was told by the perpetrator that she was sinful too. If you're a victim, you are not responsible for the abuse that has been heaped upon you. It's not your sin, it's the abuser's sin. To survivors of abuse and trauma, I cannot imagine the shame and the guilt and the powerlessness and the fear and the anxiety that you feel. But Jesus can because he was abused verbally. People hurled insults at him. He was mocked. He was beaten physically. He was spiritually abused by the Pharisees claiming he wasn't telling the truth and misleading others against him. He was crucified. Not in a cancel culture kind of way. Literally crucified. Why we use the language of they crucified me. Jesus was a victim. And he carries scars in his feet and in his hands and in his side. He knows your pain. But not only that, Jesus is righteous and he gives you his righteousness. Justin Holcomb is an abuse survivor and an advocate. He is a professor at Reformed Theological Seminary in Orlando. He tells a story of somebody coming to him for counseling who had been the victim of abuse and said that um, she thought she was wrong in it, that she had to be wrong in it theologically um, because God's grace was for sinners. And she said, I desperately need God's grace, so I must have done something wrong. I mean, Jesus died on the cross for sinners, right? He said, Jesus did die on the cross for sinners, but that's not the whole gospel. The whole gospel is that Jesus also lived a perfect, pure life in the place of all so that his life is attributed and applied to us. Theologians call this the act of righteousness of Christ. He said, you need to understand the death of Jesus, but also his perfect life, his pure life applied to you. As a victim, you've been made to feel impure and imperfect. And you need to know the purity of Jesus, that you have that in God's eyes. That you are not messed up. That you are loved, delighted in, and whole in God's eyes. Jesus becomes abused, abandoned, and alone so that you can belong, be loved, and be covered by his righteousness. And furthermore, the gospel is the resurrection, right? The resurrection is like the depths of despair, literally in the ground where everything is dark and you're covered by it. But the resurrection punches a hole in the darkness and shows no, rolls away the the stone from the tomb that light enters in. In your darkness and in despair, there is light and there is new life. That's the resurrection. The ascension of Jesus means that you have an advocate in heaven who reigns there. He is advocating for you. 
He is working on making all things new. And the return of the King, Jesus, the return means that he will actually make it all new. He is the restorer of all things. Paradise will be restored. And that is good news. And this is important for you to have the spiritual, healthy view, knowing how the gospel impacts you and changes everything, is a key part of how you will deal with the way you have suffered abuse and trauma. Today we come to communion. We come to the sacrament that reminds us that Jesus was a victim, that Jesus has scars, that Jesus rose from the dead, that he suffered for sinners, that he gives life. I mean, when we take this, we are taking this and saying, yeah, this is what we need. To your pain, Jesus is saying, you will be healed. To your shame, the Father is saying, have confidence in me, come. To your rejection, Jesus is saying, you're accepted. To your sin, the gospel says you're forgiven. To your lostness, the gospel says you're found. To those who feel like they've been abandoned, the Father says, no, I've adopted you as my son or daughter. You're in the family. To your impurity, the gospel says, no, no, you've been made pure. And to your death, the gospel says, you have new life. New life. New life by the power of the resurrection. Do you believe that? Because it will be a key element to your health in overcoming abuse and trauma by the power of the gospel. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that you will that you will just be with us in a, in a special way. By your spirit, you will help us today. Because, Lord, we have opened the doors on a hard topic. And there are so many sitting here who feel like those doors have been closed on them and struggle to find hope and struggle to find light. I pray that you would show that to them. Give them light and hope and peace. To those who are abusers, Lord, bring conviction to see the horror of sin, a willingness to give up that power and control and say, no, I need to trust in God who is powerful and in control. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.